I see today being a conversation between two professionals who work with people to help them feel better, two people who do not swear allegiance to any one dietary paradigm or methodology, two people whose primary focus is to advocate for our clients and their needs. And we're unapologetic about that because we are two people who have noticed that our clients are the ones who suffer when they're trying to adhere to this dichotomous, this or that food, nutrition, diet, health rules that are placed on them. Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm an integrative and functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and well over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs. And I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school in practitioner mentorship where we help other clinicians level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what this show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I would love for you to subscribe to the show, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Now give me the mic so I can take it away. Hello, my beautiful babies. This is the last podcast of the year, and I wanted to go out with some fire. I know that many of you are traveling, a lot of you have time off this week, and I wanted to provide some entertainment for you. So I brought in my most fiery colleague, Michelle Shapiro. She's an integrative and functional registered dietitian from New York City. There's just something about that East Coast vibe. I'm telling you, it connects us. You will hear it in the show. She's got over eight years of experience serving over a thousand clients to reverse their anxiety, heal longstanding gut issues, and approach weight loss lovingly and in a body neutral way. In her work, Michelle aims to bridge the gap for clients between functional nutrition and body positivity. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. Um, We didn't do a ton of prep for this episode because I really wanted to keep it conversational and just, you know, address the things as they came up in the room with us. But you will hear me kind of go on a rant, a tear. I dropped some bars in the beginning as a way to pre-frame. One, how I feel after 12 years in this nutrition wellness space and after five or five years of podcasting. So pretty much kind of saying the same stuff, the same issues still kind of exist. And then two, kind of where the conversation is going to be going for today. Listen, Michelle and I are both shit talkers at heart, but she's really good at reminding us throughout the episode. Yes, we might be making jokes, but it's no laughing matter when people are suffering, right? And it's these people that are suffering that we hear from, that we talk to, that we work with. These are the people that we fight for. These are the these are the people, this is why we're having this conversation in the first place. The intention is never to criticize anybody. And as you'll hear us summarize at the end of the episode, we all, all of us in healthcare, all of us in wellness, all of us in nutrition, all have the same intention to help people feel good. The way that we go about that might be different, but our intention is not to dismiss the work of any practitioners. Our intention is to say, hey, 
nuance and critical thinking really need to come back online when it comes to nutrition. And that's what we're advocating for. As Michelle says, context, curiosity, and critical thinking. These are the three C's that we've got to bring into nutrition. And hey, if you're up for a healthy dose of context, curiosity, and critical thinking, why don't you join January's Carb Compatibility Project. A couple more C's coming your way. This is the four-week nutrition program designed to help you feel good, regulate your blood sugar, but also teach you how to trust yourself with food. It's building out this autonomy of thought that we'll discuss in today's show. And it's bringing compassion into the fold as we do this. I hear you on Instagram. I hear your frustrations. You are over it. You're over being told that there's only one right way to eat. That's not true and you're hip to that game. But there is a way that's right for you and that's what the Carb Compatibility Project aims to teach you, okay? So join us. You can head to thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash CCP. We kick everything off January 9th, but you're gonna wanna sign up earlier than that just to get yourself situated. You also get a invite to my New Year's intention setting breathwork class. That is a free invite for anybody that signs up for this round of the CCP. And before I let you in on Michelle and I's discussion, I'm going to ask you for a little favor. If this is the end of the year, right? Last episode of the year. If you have received any benefit from this podcast this year, I'm going to ask that you head over to either Apple Podcast app or Spotify and leave a written and five-star review for this show because it truly is the best way to get this information into the hands of many people. It's a way to pay it forward. If you feel that I've helped you in any way, I'm going to ask you to scratch my back too and share it with the rest of the world. It takes less than a minute. It really, really, really does help me. And I super duper duper appreciate it. And thank you so much. Without much further ado, here's the convo. Welcome yep. to the show, Michelle. Oh my gosh, Erin. I'm so excited to be here. Woo! It's going to be a good one. I'm, I am pumped. This is like the highlight of my Friday. So I'm stoked to be here with you. Yay. So the name of the game, I mean, we'll see where this conversation takes us, but I I'm, want to kick things off by addressing a question that was posed to me a while back that I never really kind of fully explored, which is what's the difference between the diet industry and diet culture? And the way that I think about culture, it's really like a way of life for a group of people, an entire population or a society. And it can be passed down from generation to generation. It can encompass beliefs. It can encompass beliefs about appearance. It can encompass appearance, values, behaviors, rituals, kind of like all of it. Whereas diet industry is really a profit-making enterprise. And when I say profit, I'm talking billions of dollars in profit each year. And it's so omnipresent. This industry is so omnipresent that it actually dictates the culture. And that culture, because it encompasses our beliefs about ourselves, including our appearance, including our worth, then breeds more demand for the diet industry. So it's it's kind of like an interwoven system is the way that I think about it. And this is the system that has taught us how to starve ourselves using that magical mystery number of 1200 calories a day, um, who ingrained that number on our young brains. I think it was like 12 years old when I like cracked my first shape magazine, you know, and I'm like 12, 1200, that is the ticket. 
the system that tells us we all need to look the same, right? Thin and varying degrees of thin, depending on the decade, right? <laughs> it's like, it changes. It literally this, changes. It changes decade to decade, week to week, yeah. even the system that tells us as women, our value is in how we look the system that teaches us how to hate ourselves, to view our bodies as problems, and then profits off of the shame that they created, capitalizing off of the trauma that they created by selling us our salvation for billions of dollars in profit, right? Billions of dollars. It's a system that is steeped in anti-fatness, white supremacy, anti-blackness, and patriarchal paradigm. So I really want to start off this whole conversation by saying like, fuck diet culture. It's been my stance for a hot minute, like for sure. And also, because that's like the name of the game for our human bodies and like the world we live in. It's a bunch of and also's. And also, can I cut out hyper-processed and industrialized food? Can I reduce my sugar intake? Can I absolutely unquestionably avoid gluten as a way to feel better in my body and my mind without being a victim or a participant or perpetuate diet culture, right? It's like, (laughs) think of what Jay-Z asked in 1996. Can I live? Like, can (laughs) I live? My, My answer to that question has always been like, yes. Absolutely. And this is coming from, to give people context in case they're new here, coming from somebody who struggled with disordered eating and eating disorders for 13 years. I was anorexic and bulimic for 13 years. And also I've been in full recovery for a decade, full recovery. And I am incredibly discerning about what food I consume. And I do not view that as a problem whatsoever. And I think all of this is because I have autonomy over my own body. I have agency over my own decisions. I deeply respect myself. I deeply trust myself. Because I trust myself, I'm not constantly looking to some external authority to tell me what to do with my body, with my food choices. I've got that on lock for me. I get to decide. And it's based on nobody else's rules. And I know that you see a lot of this this, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a problem with the anti-diet culture. I think we, I think we need the pendulum swing in order for us to find a happy, comfortable middle ground for ourselves. We need that pendulum swing. Um, but there's almost like this, I see this a lot with RDs, um, intuitive eating practitioners, haze practitioners, and I'm not knocking those, those like structures whatsoever, but there's almost like this exception that's made in the anti-diet world where it's like, it's acceptable to avoid gluten or it's acceptable to avoid certain food groups if you've been diagnosed with an illness, right? For example, like celiac disease and gluten. And I'm like, well, number one, why do we have, why do we need a diagnosable illness to, for me to make food choices about myself? And number two, if they're doling out exceptions to the rules that indicates that there are still rules to follow. And for me, it's like, in my opinion, the anti-diet world can be as laced with shame as the diet world. And, And we're still receiving messages of you're doing it wrong. And that for me is a problem. And so why I wanted to bring you onto the show 
is because, you know, my listeners know that I've navigated all these worlds for a very long time, but I wanted to sit down with somebody who kind of does the same thing. So you and I exist in the gray areas, the way that I see it, we exist in the messy middle and we exist in a space that really can't be packaged up in like one little cutesy Instagram post. We live and we practice in a space that requires context and conversation. And so I'm like, let's have that conversation today. What do you think? (laughs) I mean, I have to say the energy that I'm physically feeling in my body as we're talking is like building up like the level of excitement I have and the amount of things that you just said that I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Like I'm, I'm basically unable to stay seated in my chair. So I say, yes, I say we do dive into all these things. And I really, we know, obviously we're friends and we know that how we both feel on these topics. And I, I do feel that it's quite unique. And like you said, really similar. And that is such a powerful thing where um, we're both not guided by, like you said, like either side and really just guided by client experience and what people are telling us and real human beings and their lived experiences. And we're coming to the same place, which I find really, really powerful too. Absolutely. Like that's, we sit back. We, I mean, I've at this point have worked with thousands of people, women in my career. Um, I know that you've seen a a ton. And so it's, we're listening to people and then we're basing our, our conversations off of what people are telling us and what we're seeing. Um, before we like really get into it, can you just, in case folks are not familiar with you or this is their, their first exposure to you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the field of nutrition to even begin with? Absolutely. I'll, I'll run through this story in one minute. I'll tell you my whole life story in 60 seconds. Here we go. So my name is Michelle Shapiro. I'm an integrated and functional registered dietitian in New York city, born and raised New Yorker. Um, and I initially came into nutrition after having uh, a major weight loss. Um, I grew up in Queens, very diverse, amazing place. And growing up, I had always occupied a larger body, which was like kind of chill in New York. Like it wasn't so like stratified, like these 1990s movies where there's like the cool kids and the not, like we were really diverse and like, like everyone kind of knew each other and accepted like beautiful uniqueness about each other. And like we, like being unique in New York was always very valued um, versus something that you were like looked down on. So not saying that my weight was like the central feature of my social life, but it was something that wasn't maybe as pressing of an issue as if I grew up in a very like uh, non-diverse homogenous town or something like that. So in going away to college, I was going to the University of Delaware and realized like, oh, you know, I have this like amazing life. I was like class clown in my high school, 5,000 students. Like I was like, I have a bunch of friends, like really my weight isn't holding me back from anything. But I was like, oh, I'm going to the University of Delaware to study nutrition. And I was like, ooh, people are going to be like pretty homogenous there. And people are not going to be the same way as, you know, how I grew up. So I think I need to change myself before I get there. So I, huge trigger warning, totally do not recommend this, but I lost like close to a hundred pounds in about a three month period before going away to school. And then when I got to school, I was of course celebrated for this weight loss, which was so dangerous and legitimately quite damaging on my health. So I had the benefits in some ways of losing the weight, but in others, I got HPA axis dysregulation, thyroid dysfunction. I had serious gut issues. And mostly I had horrible panic attacks all the time, which I hadn't had before. I really was going from doctor to doctor and they were telling me, you know, it's of course, it's all in your head, you're fine. Or like, ooh, you seem really sick. I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, And of course, all this was driven by the fact that I made this 
huge imbalance in my body and scared my body, you know, to death. Like my body's like, Oh my God, we're dying. We just lost a hundred pounds. Like what's going on. Um, and really my finding myself back from those panic attacks, which I haven't had in like close to 10 years and, and all of those things using functional naturopathic, um, medicine through a provider and functional nutrition, um, in my own way, it was really my coming back to health that made me love these specific conditions, which is really what I work with in my practice is having people lose weight the right way, mindset wise, not the way I did it so that they don't have to repair all that damage, of course, and because it's extremely dangerous. Um, and also if people have anxiety conditions, the reversal of those conditions and gut conditions too, you know, we, we often treat what we seek ourselves. Um, so that's really the very abbreviated version of how I came to do what I do now. Do you think that those panic attacks, I I'm also somebody that had like massive debilitating panic attacks in my early twenties. Um, they're awful. Do, do you think that was more mentally and emotionally driven or more physiologically driven looking back? Physiologically driven, I'd say. Um, I started experiencing anxiety as like a kid, but it's really like, we're both like empaths. Like, it's just like a, you just like, you're picking up on a lot of energy of other people all the time. Um, and I also had like, you know, any, like any person you, you gather micro and macro traumas throughout your life that, you know, to create anxiety. But for me, these were low blood sugar, inflammation, extreme imbalance driven, because once I basically, after I graduated school, I made this kind of like battle plan for myself. And I call it a battle plan. Cause I give those to my clients. Now I call them battle plans. And I was like, what fixes anxiety? Like, let me do it from a mental, emotional, spiritual, physical standpoint. And I did a lot of the mental and emotional work, like a lot, either with practitioners or by myself. And then I was still left with like timed panic attacks, very specific conditions. I put myself through exposure therapy, but really when I noticed like the hugest difference was when I actually started approaching the physical stuff. So I did kind of like a controlled study on myself in that I did the you know, the, the big emotional, spiritual stuff first. And I, I got like 20% better, um, and then got myself to hundred percent when I pulled it all together with the physical too. Yeah. I mean, it really is such a com combo platter of all of them. And I think we just, in our society, patho pathologize anxiety or any like mood fluctuations, you know? Um, and it's really interesting to hear you talk about it because it's typically when we're experiencing anxiety, it's like our body's like, yo, something's up, <laughs> like send help, please. You know? And so it's a, we it's want to a, shut it's it down. We want to shut it down. Yeah, just like we do with everything. Shut down the menstrual cycle, shut, shut down the symptoms, shut down your mood, just shut it all down, shut it all down. And we absolutely divorce ourselves from our bodies and our intuition and our inner knowing. And then we're like, but why can't I trust myself? <laughs> Cause it's like every yeah. single message, your body, your higher self sends you, you shut it down because that's what you've been conditioned to do. So there we go. We can wrap it all up with a bow with just that there, there it is. Why can't I trust myself to make my own food decisions? That's why. Um, you consistently betray yourself every day of your life. That's the only reason why though, just because of that, you know, you betrayed yourself by ignoring yourself, but unknowingly. So we're not blaming anyone for that. No, this is yeah. not another entry point for self-flagellation, right? This is exactly. No, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. <laughs> listen we to yourself. To... Don't not listen to yourself. We yes. have to acknowledge that we do live in a culture and a society that teaches us to go dark on ourselves. And then part of yeah. the healing process, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, energetic, is to just start the relearning process, the unlearning, and then the reprogramming of like, oh, okay, if I've done this, then I can undo this too. And I don't, I have not seen any physical body healing happen without 
bringing that into the equation. Since we're talking about nutrition today, let's also talk about amino acids because they make up half of your solid body mass. After water, they're the second most abundant substance in your entire body. Your body can make some amino acids, but essential amino acids have to be obtained through protein intake or supplementation like Keon Aminos. If you are deficient in amino acids, you're not going to be able to build new muscle, which is essential for health and longevity. You also have a tougher time holding onto the muscle that you already have. Keon Aminos helps with energy and better recovery too. It contains all nine essential amino acids, and it's backed by over 20 years of clinical research. If you're ready to simplify your supplement routine and you want to save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases, go to getkeon.com forward slash funk. That's G-E-T-K-I-O-N.com slash F-U-N-K to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. Okay, I want to talk to you about moringa, which is a plant that can give us a green powder. And I've known the benefits for moringa for a while. It has a lot of protein, vitamin A, potassium, calcium, vitamin C, iron. It's a pretty powerful and potent little plant. I couldn't get past the taste. I would buy bags of it, just not really know what to do with it. I love me some like dirt flavor. I'll drink matcha tea all day long, but the moringa, I was like, oh, it's kind of weird. The good news is that you can get all the benefits of Moringa without like the weird taste in Organifi's green juice. So you can go with their original blend, which has kind of a minty taste, or with their brand new green juice crisp apple blend, which tastes mm, just like apples. Organifi's green juice also has other green superfoods like spirulina and chlorella, as well as ashwagandha, a really nice adaptogenic herb that helps to balance out cortisol levels in the body. If you want to try some, and I think you should, head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk to save 20% off of your order. It's not possible. Exactly. And I, you know, you said something before that I already need to touch base on because it's so powerful, which is this idea of autonomy of thought. And when I think of, you know, diet culture and I think of, and I know we're going to dive deep into that, but the idea of like, first of all, like diet culture puts the cult in culture, you know, it's, it's very much about hijacking the way that you view yourself and hijacking the way that you interact with yourself. And I am seeing, you know, in the, in the treatment of anxiety in, in the anti-diet culture movement, which has, like we said, very powerfully positive roots and the morality piece of it is solid. It's still providing a new framework for you to think about yourself through what someone else thinks. So I think in all that we're going to be talking about anxiety and, you know, weight and all these things, the most important thing is that we need that voice, the call to come from inside the house. It has to be what sounds like your voice, not even your voice. It has to be, you know, like the energy and personality of your voice that's saying something. And I think that that's always my concern with any kind of, um, radical movement, whether it's, you know, super positive in, in root or not, is that you're still adopting someone else's voice as your own. And I think that's going to be, a, a am assuming a central theme of our conversation too, because the autonomy of thought is probably the most powerfully healing thing that we can have is, is our own voice telling us what to do. So in a, I believe that based on my work with so many people, I believe that, that we are a nation of I'm going to stick, I'm going to use women, you know, just, just because I, I tend to work mostly with women, but anybody could fall into this framework. Right. Um, we are like a nation of women that 
don't trust ourselves, that don't know how to hear our voice. I think the call, the call's always coming from inside the house, right? It, it's been coming from inside the house, but we've, we're not really adept at answering the call. In, in fact, we've been t- kind of taught to do the exact opposite, which is to not answer the call, which, you know, like apologize for, you know, having boundaries, <laughs> like, you know, not trust ourselves, not trust that inner knowing and, so I would imagine in somebody hearing you say this, it like, that sounds great, but like, how do I actually get there? What's the entry point of getting there? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that first, like the first thing we can do is just internalize that. And let's just like all accept right now that from, let's just even take our clients as a case study. Let's take anecdotal evidence and say that people do the greatest things in their lives when they listen to themselves. People heal better when they listen to themselves. So we have to first accept it as truth, I think. So let's just, we can fake it till we make it. If you don't accept it and you don't believe us, just pretend for the the exercise, basically. I think the next step and what I work on a lot with my clients is finding out like what that voice sounds like and looks like. So I like to have my clients kind of you know, put a picture together, especially when they're having thoughts around eating. And I've been, it's kind of like an internal family systems model where you're thinking about like, all right, maybe there's a diet culture voice, which is like a little, you know, like a Barbie or like a, a, a maybe it's like a family figure or it was someone like, I, I have like Jillian Michaels kind of comes to mind or like someone sure. like that, who's like a like central diet culture kind of voice. And I have people create a persona for that. So that when that voice starts coming up, they know who it is and they can also feel what that voice is. So you might say like, Ooh, that's a red voice. Like that color is kind of what's associated with that voice. I want people to create a picture and an image for what that voice is. It's really hard to do in the beginning, but a little tiny part of everyone can kind of know what I'm saying. And they're like, Oh, I know. I know that voice. I kind of know that voice. Usually what happens is there's a voice like that. And then there is lovingly, maybe like a kickback anti-diet culture voice. That's like, it's like, all right, as an example, the Jillian Michael, use Jillian Michaels as an example. I don't care. It's a fair um, example. Jillian Michael, it's yeah, I could do a whole thing on that, but yeah. So basically the Jillian Michaels voice is saying, you know, you got to eat a certain amount or like the, we'll call it the personal trainer voice or whatever. The fitness voice is like, you, you only can eat this much. If you eat more than that, you know, you have a lot to be ashamed of. We have this kickback voice, which is like, I deserve to eat these things. Don't be mean to me. And it's a protective, both voices are protective and loving, right? So it's like, I deserve to eat these things. Don't, you know, be mean to me and, and I'm going to eat this and and feel better. That voice is what often people feel is their actual voice. But I implore people to look at that voice and feel again, does that feel like something I would actually say? Does that sound like a voice of mine? Because there's another voice probably in the middle that's, you know, somewhere more balanced, like, Hey, if I really want to eat this, I can have it. If not, you know, maybe I'll eat it later or something like that. That more calm, not coming from a place of fear and protection voice. So I get, I want people to really get to know those voices in their head and it'll be very apparent. You know, I have these like very like amazing type A New York clients. And like, if the voice is like, you deserve it. I'm like, you know, that's not you, right? Like, that's not how you talk, you know? So actually listen to even the cadence of speech that you're hearing from that person and say like, does that really sound like me? Or is that something I found on an Instagram that said all foods fit? You know, really trying to get to know the voices and the conversations around food, I think is really powerful for people to start to listen to their voice, which could have been suppressed and kind of like locked away in their head. So it's like paying attention to our own thoughts, paying attention to the story that we're telling ourselves in any given moment and asking like, whose voice is this? Is this really my voice? Or did this come from some type of like external 
um, external source. I also really appreciate how you said both voices are protective, right? There's like no bad parts, (laughs) you know, no bad parts. They're all like, they all can have a seat at the table. They're all there's, we've created these different voices based on needs that we have. So the, the name of the game isn't to like pinpoint a voice and be like, Oh, that's the bad one. That's the shameful one. That's the one I turn away from. It's just to say like, everybody gets a voice every, like throw it out all, all on the table. And then I'm going to like sift through this and decide like, what do I get to choose? Like what really feels like me, what really feels like what's the right thing for me. And you know, it's a process to be sure it's a process. It is. And just the acknowledgement. And this is kind of the first step of what I would have people do with anxiety too. Like the one thing you never want to do, like we said, is suppress the signal. So you don't want to say like, stop talking, you know, personal trainer voice, stop talking anti-diet culture voice, you actually want to just let it rock and let them ride whatever they want to tell you, just allow them to vent. Um, I have this image of like this mother at a playground with her son and like her son is like pulling at her shirt to get her attention. And the more that she's like, stop, stop. The more he pulls, he's like, I need to tell you something. Our voices are like those little kids who just want us to listen to them. And, and they're really giving us sacred you know, protective messages that we really want to listen to. So regardless of the voice isn't our favorite, because some people have like, well, I, you know, I, I really think the personal trainer voice is trying to help me. You know, I really, it is all the voices are neutral in their mission, which is to help you in some way, but how they're accomplishing that is, is, is worth listening to and acknowledging. And as soon as you acknowledge them, they actually can calm down and, and not be as loud. So you had mentioned earlier when you were talking about what you do and who you work with, you, you do work with people for, with weight loss goals, which is like a little bit risky to say sometimes I feel like, can you, I know that you, you occupy the functional nutrition space and also you really occupy the body positivity space. How, how can that be? You know, where's, what's the intersection there? How do you navigate that? So it's, it, it does seem like there can only be one world and that they are antagonistic, but I feel that they're very synergistic. And, you know, I, I want to, I'll use the word body neutrality, which is more of the idea that you don't have to like love your body every day, which is not the premise of all body positivity at all, but you just have, you have to respect your body every day, basically. So it doesn't have to be like wonderful and, and like toxic positivity, which body positivity isn't in, in its entirety, but it has to be. And I don't want to like, I I'm not ripping on body positivity practitioners at all. And we, I, I think that they have great, great morality and merit. And I completely understand the mission. Um, I think the example of like, how do we incorporate body neutrality, you know, in my practice with functional nutrition is if someone came to me with like, let's say uh, a poor relationship with food, but they also had severe gut issues that client has to prioritize for sure what their most important goal is, but I'm never going to have a client come to me and say, I want to lose weight. And I'm going to say, well, it's not good for you to lose weight because I don't make decisions for my clients. I give recommendations based on what we together consent is safe and appropriate and helpful and effective for them. So if I have a client who has a really poor relationship with food, but at the same time is dealing with severe gut issues, like how would I approach something like gluten? So what I do is a lot of like, you know, consent-based work. So I'll, I'll ask a question, like when I say the word gluten, let's say if, if it's very, you know, it could be very obvious to me that there might be an intolerance there. I feel sick after I eat bread and pasta, you know, something like that. I might ask, how does the word gluten feel to you? And if a client immediately 
whoa, I can see the resistance, almost like their body changes when we're talking about it. Like, I don't want to talk about any restriction whatsoever. It's not time. So it's about timing and it's about consent. So there's priority, right? So if I have a client who has a food allergy and they're like, Michelle, I'm like throwing up every day. I have no idea why. This is the most important thing in the world to me. I'm going to base priority on what is a priority for them, but at the same time, constantly asking for consent. Like, would it be okay to talk about food? Some of my clients, we work together on more of the lifestyle aspect and like, you know, maybe it's supplement testing, things like that way before we even talk about food, because food is so loaded that it can be legitimately triggering. So it takes a very, you know, gentle tool, you know, with, with like counseling and coaching to make sure like a gentle hand, so to speak, to make sure that the client is ready. So that's something that I, you know, find the most important in my practice is constantly making sure you're there and ready to receive that information because nutrition information can be very validating and important, or it can be extremely dangerous to the wrong, you know, listening ear basically. So I'm trying to constantly determine that. This is, this is where I get fired up. And the whole purpose of the show is not to talk shit all over the place. It's really to just say, Hey, like, you know, there's some holes in the system. And this is where I get really fired up with functional medicine and prescriptive diets. Like I, Mm -hmm. I can't, I'll give you a perfect example of exactly what you're talking about. I had a client a couple of years ago who we did run, she had thyroid issues, could just couldn't get them under control. We did test her for gluten sensitivity. Not only was she extremely reactive to gluten, she also had endotoxemia. So her LPS antibodies were elevated. I mean, this is like kind of like worst case scenario. Like your gut is leaky. It's bad. You're eating gluten. It's it's like, you know, it is, it's like the fire that's burning down the, the village. And also she had a history of binging and uh, sometimes mm-hmm. purging. And mm-hmm. she realized that in taking out the gluten, cause she had some real, like, a, like actual IgE allergies. Uh, she could, she was allergic, full on allergic to almonds and coconut. So that's already taken off, you know? And so then when she attempted a gluten-free diet and she was like, sort of like anxious to talk about this because, you know, there's a lot of shame with binging and, you know, and, um, so when she, when she told me about it, I'm like, okay, so we actually table the gluten right now. Like that is not my, that is absolutely not my focus. That is not our priority right now. Our priority is like your mental health and like stabilizing that. And it's like, if, if we do not have the ability to help our clients assess and prioritize like their deep needs based on what they're communicating to us, then we are not cut out for this work. And I stand by that. I know it's a, it's a really strict message and I stand by it. And I, I just see functional medicine, you know, these practitioners at these big snazzy, jazzy functional medicine clinics that are just looking at people's labs, not even looking people in the eye, putting them on a prescriptive diet without asking any of their health history. Most women have a history of disordered eating and, and really significant eating issues. And why is that not coming into the conversation? Don't rip foods away from somebody just because they like flagged and tagged, you know, some type of food sensitivity test. It's bullshit. You know, what called? you know what that's called, Aaron, in two words, conventional medicine. That's what conventional <laughs> medicine is. That's what conventional medicine is. You're prescribing a fix for a problem. That's not functional medicine. Functional medicine is assessing the root cause, determining where, what the like ecology of the body is and where your body's at, 
and then taking people step by step into finding the root cause and going straight to the root. These diets do not solve the root cause. So that is conventional medicine. And I hate functional medicine disguised as conventional medicine. And we can talk smack about that all day. Cause that is to me the, since I love you and I have this deep love for functional medicine and functional nutrition at its core, I think it is like, I think it's the answer. I got to tell you, cause I actually think that body neutrality is a component of functional nutrition, acknowledging where your client's at and digging deeper and applying curiosity is at the basis and heart of functional medicine. So when it's deceivingly, you know, we're, we're giving, and I gave this example, like, okay, you're giving a different kind of injection to people or medication that's like fancier. That's not functional medicine. And it's not functional nutrition to prescribe a diet and have someone walk out of the room. That is conventional medicine. So yes, I feel exactly the same way you do. And I'm sure that it's you, dangerous. it's dangerous. It's, it's, you know, cookie cutter template approach. It is not root cause. It's not the, it's not really helping and assessing and searching for the root. It's easier. It's so much easier to slap sure. a protocol on somebody. Oh, we're going to run a stool test and put you on like, you know, $300 of like cell core supplements and then call it a day. My job here is done. And so it's like, now I am, and I, I would anticipate based on the nature of your work, what you're probably seeing an uptick in people coming to you from other functional providers and functional medicine clinics being like, I have this bucket of supplements. I have all these lab tests and like, nobody's listened to me yet. You know, like It's like, what, and they come to me how from have we missed the plot so much? Say that again. You're hundred percent right. They come to me from both sides. So what the new trend is I'm seeing is go to a either conventional or functional practitioner, hate it, head over to a Hayes practitioner, hate it and then come back. And that's kind of like, it's like people are bouncing around and at the, at the cost of their hope, their health and their happiness and their financial investment. So like we can be like, you know, laughing at the trend of it, but it, there's no joking matter when it comes to what people have wasted and sacrificed in this way. So, but that's really what I'm seeing is that it's again, like people are so smart and there our bodies are so smart and we don't give ourselves that credit that like it feels a little weird when you're just prescribing me a bunch of stuff without talking to me about it. It feels a little weird when you're telling me I can't want to lose weight. Like on both sides of the aisle, I think people are are facing that issue. And if I were to like break down, like, you know, what the missing like integration is, it's that like, I think that the more like body positive practitioners and like, again, this is not applicable to everyone. Again, I think they have the best like moral conscious is really psychological solutions. And I think that functional nutrition is like a lot of physical solutions. And I think that we can't really, like we said, get anywhere. You can't prescribe a psychological solution for a physical problem. If you have parasites, it doesn't matter if you have an excellent relationship with food, you're not going to eradicate them through having an excellent relationship with food. And I think that the bridge of what I think true functional nutrition is, and the intersection is just compassion, which means that you're actually curiosity and compassion and actually getting to the bottom of what's going on with someone, which you can't really apply just a psychological solution or just a physical solution. You need both and there needs to be integration. And that's that middle where we both live, you know, right there together in our hut, right in the middle. (laughs) What would you, I want to also say that what we're not trying to do. And I think I speak for both of us when I say this is like, take options off the table for people. Like we don't want to say, Oh, don't do haze. Don't do functional medicine. Don't do this. We want to just the way that I look at it. I'm like, it's all on the table. It's they're all options. Well, they're the all great tools. options. They're all tools. They're all tools. Intuitive tools. Eating, the 10 principles of intuitive eating are rock solid. It's not even a question. It's, it's really for my clients. It's like, all right, I left diet culture. Now what? 
So yeah. it's like, yes, you got the benefit of an improved relationship with food. You freaking did it. You deprogram yourself. It's no easy feat whatsoever, but you're still sick as hell. All right, let's talk about that now. You know, it's, it's a tool in the toolbox. And I, I work the principles of my clients of intuitive eating. That's part of it. We do interpretation of labs as a part of it. You can take, like you said, everything is a tool, not uh, a mission statement. Everything is a tool that you can use. And I'm curious, cause you were saying like you, you've, you've had people that maybe started with conventional medicine. They're like, it ain't it. They, or they went over to Hayes and they're like, it ain't it. But I, I feel that, you know, we've, we've been really like conditioned to look at things as like the quick fix. Like if our, if we're not getting immediate, immediate results, something's wrong. And I have to pivot and try something else. And so we can, I don't think we are, we always give ourselves enough like patience and grace and space to really try out things or like really put our all into things. What would you say to somebody that's kind of like bebopping around between like method to method, to method, to method, kind of looking for those instantaneous results? I I love this question. And and I think that I would, I, I recently was speaking about this, which is that like, if we're thinking of that paradigm of like either side of the aisle, it's that maybe like on the, on the more body positive side, there's a lot of pursuance of like comfort and doing things that feel really nice and really natural and comforting. And then maybe on the more like medical side of things, it feels like you're kind of pursuing discomfort and resilient, like the diet culture side, like, you know, no pain, no gain kind of mindset. And I think that like where we kind of want people to land is in a space where you're doing things that are like a little bit challenging, but not like super ridiculously uncomfortable. Because I think there's like a homeostasis we reach when we're like tolerating some discomfort, but not torturing ourselves. It seems like there's, there is like that kind of middle ground. So if you kind of feel like if something's like, all right, I did it now, now what? it might be time to take kind of a next further step. And if you also feel like I am freaking miserable and scared and in pain, you've probably gone too far into the resilience bucket too. So I think that you don't need to tap into your resilience all the time, but I think when you're noticing, all right, I have a little more room to invite something else, you know, and taking that step back. I think that's when people can know, do I stay on this path? Do I take a new path or something like that is, is just acknowledging where your resilience is at. Like I can't add anything to my plate right now, or you know what? I feel a little okay. Now let me add something else. That's when, you know, you might've like maxed out on that modality and and you might be ready to, to do something else or integrate something else. It's making me think of like comfort zone a little bit. I have, I don't like when people are like, you just got to push yourself outside your comfort zone. I'm like, that's actually like really jarring to the nervous system, but I'm a big fan of like, you know, slowly stretching our comfort zone, right? Stretching like what used to feel really scary and uncomfortable. Now we're like, oh, okay, I can do this. Like it's a stretch more than just like having a hand behind your back, like shoving you outside of it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's also, like you said, it's quite dangerous to do that. That's when you're going to get into panic attacks, shoving yourself out and, and completely dysregulating your nervous system is also like it, that puts us into a place where like, again, I'm, I'm going to use the word cult. I'm like into cults, like for sure, not being in one, but like into studying them and like learning <laughs> about them. But thank you for like, the clarification. Uh, exactly. Love cults. Um, I think there's a, <laughs> there's like a, again, in, in some of them, it's like a lot about, you know, pushing through discomfort, pushing through discomfort. And in doing that, you're tremendously muting your body signals. 
So I think like, again, listening, instead of muting your body signals, letting your body tell you you're uncomfortable and just accepting it is also like something that's really, really powerful. It's saying like, I'm uncomfortable and I don't like it. And just letting your body talk to you and tell you that is really important too. And sometimes again, discomfort is tolerable and that like meter of what's comfortable or allowable, you know, has to be determined by the person. And that can change based on circumstance too. But I think it's, you know, we really do have this intuition about ourselves that is accessible to everyone anytime they want. Um, and, you know, it's a gut feeling too. Like you have to go with your gut feeling, which again, we've muted, but we're giving tools to amplify that gut feeling so that you can tap into it. It's making me, it's giving me like big, biggest loser vibes when you were like, it's, we push ourselves so much that in order to push ourselves to meet expectations and demands, we actually have no choice, but to silence our inner, you know, like the, our body signals, like we really have to go dark on ourselves in order to do this. And we know how, how well that turned out, right? Not well. So I could do another four episodes on just the biggest loser. Cause it's so fascinating. Like it's, the studies that came out after, like we really could, that is like, like the perfect example of like pushing yourself to a, and to no avail because it was so permanently damaging to the metabolisms of the contestants. And in, in that 2016 study that it was like the, the prime example of what we're talking about, which is that like, even if you're getting success in what society perceives as success now, there could be something biting you on the back end. So it's not like, you know, body positive practitioners are saying like, don't lose weight rapidly, even for the morality aspect, there's huge physical consequences of that too. And again, those people were like, it's so devastating that study to me because the biggest loser contestants like put themselves out there. They were vulnerable. They like did the damn work, quote unquote, like whatever the work was, they did it. And it just absolutely backfired. And they didn't, they personally didn't do anything wrong. It was because again, they had to push down those body signals so hard. Yeah. And there, what a, what a rebound effect with, with that. Um, I read, this is, this is not funny, but it's like, I, you know, humor's my trauma response. So sue me. Um, I read this, this, uh, thing on Instagram. Uh, sometimes I'm like, what is wrong with millennial women? And then I remembered how in the early 2000s, special K tried to wipe us all out by telling us to replace breakfast and lunch with a cup of cereal and a splash of skim milk. <laughs> Almost and what about died. the half a grapefruit thing? The half a grapefruit thing. Well, it's, it's like so I'm triggered. like old enough to remember like slim fast of the 90s of like yeah, a shake for breakfast, a shake yeah. for lunch, and a sensible dinner. But then, I mean, one of I feel like it was like one of the first episodes that I did of this podcast. I was like, so isogenics, slim fast. It's the same shit, just packaged up. You know, exactly. it's a shake for breakfast. Better. It's a shake shake for lunch. You know, it's just a lot more expensive. So I've got some big feelings about, about like the deep restriction and like, you know, there's talk about a cult there. I I've noticed that there's like a real, like, you know, it's kind of like a cult following around some of that stuff. I haven't seen it as much anymore, but I've also really like muted a lot of that stuff too. I, I take a lot of agency over like what I, what I allow myself to consume on social media. What are some things that you're seeing kind of like trending right now in terms of weird diet stuff? Yeah. I think that what, you know, this is such a, this is going to leeway me into something that I really want to talk to you about too, which is that now everything that is like ancient medicine is also like quote unquote diet culture. And I'm like, that's a huge problem for me because 
you're in my head, it's a huge insult to wrap up these incredible pieces of scientific information as something that's just diet culture. Like, no, those, those are way before diet culture. They're way more wise than diet culture. So I think that what I have been seeing is a lot of things that are like, you know, even like teas and things like that, things that have been used medicinally in Ayurveda, in traditional Chinese medicine are now being taken and by functional nutrition or medicine, which is actually like we, we use them, it's integrated medicine. So we would actually be using them and then flipped and saying, you know what, you can't like decrease bloating. That's not possible. You know, it's diet culture to say you can decrease bloating. All right, my athletes and my fitness freaks, are you getting enough electrolytes? You kind of need them. They're kind of a big deal. You lose a lot through sweat, but just don't be replacing them with any of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no fillers, no yuck. You need Element. It's not only delicious and wicked convenient, mixes in water super easily, but it also contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. You can get a free sample pack that's eight single-serve packets for free with any Element order when you go to drinkelement.com forward slash funk. The deal's only available through my unique link to thank you for listening to the show, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash F-U-N-K. You can try it risk-free. And shit is bananas right now, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Somebody recently asked me, what do you do when you're doing all of the things, you're practicing all of the tools, but things still feel really intense? And honestly, this is where Ned de-stress comes in for me. It is part of my daily routine right now. It's a certified organic formula, full spectrum hemp with CBG, CBD, and also ashwagandha. So it really helps to calm down the body and soothe down anxiety. If you need some support right now, fortify your stress response and get 15% off Ned's de-stress blend with code FUNK, go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you as always, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering myself and our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. I'll summarize in the way that like, here's what I'm hearing you say. Integrative medicine, you know, just like by definition really borrows from cultural, like uh, cultural wisdom and ancient wisdom and ancient practices. And that, you know, that's what makes it integrative. We're pulling in a lot of different modalities. We're pulling in a lot lot of different, um, you know, thoughts in, in, into, you know, the way that we heal, which is a beautiful thing and functional medicine tries its best to, to, to embrace some of these things, sometimes misses the mark, right? Sometimes misses the mark and perhaps some, some deeply ancient healing practices has, has, have been co-opted and kind of put, put forth as trendy or like as trending or like that they feel. Yeah. And so it's like ways to biohack. And it's like, Oh, people have been doing that for thousands of years. And then, so then the anti-diet culture world comes in and is like, Whoa, you know, that's restrictive. That's, that's harsh. That's too much. And so it just, it's like a lot of opinions and it can be get really messy really fast. And I think it kind of harkens back to what I was saying in the beginning, which is like, if we, you know, no wonder why consumers are just perpetually confused because like everybody's screaming. It's like, who has the loudest voice in the room? And people are saying very contradictory things or they're changing all of the time. And so if we do not have that inner authority, if we do not have that inner trust, 
then, or that ability to trust ourselves, then we're, we are looking to those external authority figures, whoever they might be, whether it's an Instagram influencer or our physician or whomever and saying, what should I do? But then we have lots of mixed messages coming our way and that gets real messy real fast. A hundred percent. And yeah, I think that what I mean to say is diet culture or, or some, you know, some medicine practices are very good at packaging those modalities essentially. And because some people are on the same team, basically in potentially food or pharma, we don't know, whatever, you know, we don't need to be like conspiracy theorists. We know, we know there's like dealings, let's say. Um, I think that we're, we're kind of shooting anything that could be a healing modality in the name of don't be restrictive, but yes. in doing that, yes. we're missing all the juicy healing. Like you said, deeply yes. healing, like, all the juicy, good stuff we're missing. So I think that again, we, we have to know, does this modality have a scientific basis? Is it consent based with the client? Like there are so many, there are very real determining factors when we give these recommendations. It's not like, you know, again, it's the same diatribe of like functional nutrition is like snake oil in my head, you know, functional nutrition versus like a conventional degree every, you know, you and I are conventionally trained and then you add on functional nutrition training. It's actually additional advanced training. And of course you like literally train professionals yourself. I mean, I think this idea again of lumping things together is what's really damaging for people and really confusing because like, you know, like something like lemon water with salt in it in the morning, which can be like so nourishing for the adrenals, like can be something that's like also lemon water can make you skinny because you'll like, you know, lose water weight or something like that. But that's not the basis of it and would definitely not be the basis of what we would be introducing to our clients. So I think the same exact tools can be weaponized. And I think it's discerning the intention of the tools as well as the scientific validity and everything like that for our clients. Tools absolutely can be weaponized. I mean, it's like you think of a knife, you could use it to slice a, a watermelon or you could mm -hmm. use it to chop somebody's arm off, right? Tools can be weaponized depending on who is, you know, wielding the tools. And for better or for worse, you know, usually for worse, probably, um, people monetize these like old, you know, I think about uh, like psyllium husk. Somebody was like, what's your thought on colon broom? I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, what is colon broom? And so, you know, it's just basically like razzmatazzy, jazzy, expensive. So you can get psyllium husk for like $5 for like a pound. If you like go to your like local, you know, Whole Foods or something. And this is like 30 bucks a pop. It's like got stevia in it. And it's like, is it bad? Is it wrong? The way that they're marking it, marketing it is like gross. You know, it's basically like clean your insides because you're filthy and you'll lose so much weight for this $30 psyllium husk. But is it inherently bad as a product? It's really not. It's just fancy, expensive psyllium husk. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, we have to think about context and we rarely give ourselves the space and the time to do that. We're just consuming, 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 consuming. What's everybody's opinion? We're smashing our heads so full of everybody else's opinions that there's literally no space for our own inner knowing to come through our own inner voice. We don't have opinions. We're just like, what did that person say? What did that person say? What did that person say? And that can get problematic, especially when there's like such like dichotomous thinking. It's like this or that pick your lane. You can only choose one. So which one is it going to be? Are you, are you diet culture? Are you doing the lemon water? Cause you're trying to get skinny or exactly. anti, you know what I mean? Like, which one are you? And that, I think that's harmful. Context, critical thinking, curiosity, three C's of today. I think that's what really is like missing. And the nuance, like the fact that, you know, someone could like 
think that are giving someone a, a targeted and specific nutritional supplement to help them heal their gut could be perceived as diet culture. It just shows the lack of nuance in the conversation where it's like, I don't, I couldn't care less what bucket a recommendation I give falls into as long as it's effective and safe and actually, you know, helps the person I'm intending to help. So I think that, and what I'm hearing from a lot of practitioners too, is like this really intense fear of not picking a team. They feel really scared to live. I mean, me and you are like vicious in a good way. Like we're very like, we're very tough, you know? So I think it's, it's okay for us to have this conversation. Like, I mean, I know it's definitely okay for us to have this conversation, but a lot of practitioners feel just like we do. And I can tell you that if the practitioners are feeling the heat and fear, we know our clients are feeling the heat and fear. Like, can we just take a step back and realize how absolutely insane it is that these are like, that our clients are being caught between like marketing battles and their health hangs in the balance, like how serious that is and how not funny that is and how, you know, I take every single post that I write on Instagram very seriously because I've like, I, I know that it could really impact someone. And I think that we have tried in, in Instagram, especially so reductionist, like trying to post these really critical, really contextual concepts into like these tiny little things and it's it's so destructive to people's health because again you can't like some summarize anything like that in a graphic you can't summarize a person in a graphic so it's really really hard and i know that people are feeling the heat and the practitioners are feeling the heat too like it's really scary for practitioners and what ends up happening is that becomes very limiting for clients too. And I'm like, not, I don't want to use the word like cancel culture. Cause I, I don't even want to, it's not important, but again, when you like limit someone's ideas, especially in functional nutrition and the scientific method, which is based on curiosity and like basically disproving yourself. It's what the scientific method is based on. We can't just say like, follow the science or about like, you know, these food things because we have to like keep evaluating it and we have to keep diving in and we can't be afraid to post things because, you know, other people are going to lump you in a bucket. It's really, really hard on both sides. I mean, it's equal on both sides. No one is more guilty than the other. And I think that that's the, the nuance is what's so lacking in the conversation that you and I can say it's okay to lose weight. And it's also okay to heal your body with food and that heal your relationship with food. And that two different people could tell us we're like horrible human beings for those two sentences. I mean, it doesn't, it's so, it's so, like late, it's such lazy reductionist thinking that I'm seeing, which is so frustrating and for the clients, especially. And I always, you know, I tend to record intros after the fact. I, I tend to preface like big conversations like this as like some of this stuff might be in opposition to what you think, feel and believe. And like, if it rubs you the wrong way, like that's okay. Like it's conversations, you know, like we're, we're just shooting the shit saying like, this is what I've seen. This is what you've seen. This is how I feel. This is how you feel. We happen to be in lockstep with a lot of stuff. So the, you know, the and we're aggressive in our communication styles. Yes, so, we you know, we, we might, we might be like stating all of this as though it's truth. It's our truth based on how we see the world yeah. and our experiences, but you're like more than will, willing to, or more than, then uh, entitled to disagree. What I always try to get people to do is like, if you feel triggered by anything that you hear, like sit with that trigger, because usually that trigger is, it provides so much information into your own belief systems, into your own pain points, into your own like things that, that 
you know, beliefs that may, may need changing, um, versus saying, I feel triggered. I'm gonna ax them. Like I feel triggered. I can't rock with them anymore. You know, like there's like, there's a big difference there. Sometimes I get triggered by somebody and I'm like, no, she's a no for me, or he's a no for me. Um, but usually I'm like, I'm like, what's, what's, why am I triggered by what they just said? What can I learn from this about myself and about my viewpoints, about the, the way I see the world, about the way that I see myself in the world. It's like real valuable information. Yep. And I, I mean, I don't, I find that like, even the conversation we're having, we're riding so hard in the middle intentionally because we really believe that that's where the, the middle is where it's at. But I have to say like functional medicine practitioners, conventional medicine practitioners and Hayes anti-diet practitioners all have the same intention, which is to help people feel good. 100. The way that they're going about it is different, but I mean, that, that is also lost on people too. When we're saying like, no, the functional medicine practitioners are causing eating disorders and the anti-diet people aren't helping people heal their, heal their gut. like, everyone's using the tools that they have and everyone I can guarantee you is doing the best they possibly can. And what they think is, is truly the best. I just think that the, the nuance and the critical thinking is being lost in people's honestly passions. I think it's people's passions. Like if you see someone who has a really disruptive relationship with food and then they heal from that using the, you know, their own uh, intentions and empowerment and the help of a practitioner, like even helping one person is so exciting that that practitioner can absolutely believe like this is this is the path for them and what the work they're doing is so valuable too so we i I never want to dismiss the work of any practitioner conventional functional anti-diet because they are 100 doing out of the the goodness of their heart the work that is necessary to help people so it's just how we choose to do it and how much we're willing to um have nuance around it i think is so important yeah, absolutely. Like nobody, nobody gets into this line, into this line of work, into this field, unless they genuinely want to help people. And I think that that can't be missed. And I think what your point is so valid that we get really excited when we see some, something work for ourselves or other people. We're like, the world needs to know about this. We get real revved up. We get real excited. I think, especially if we're newer or like we're a little green, um, I think the mo- the longer you do this work, the more you, you know, the more you are in the trenches with people, the more people you work with, you realize that, oh gosh, this worked for those 10 people, but it really didn't work for these two, you know? And so we, I think we, you develop that context and you develop that nuance over time. If you allow yourself to, if you stay with, if you stay practicing with an open mind, I said shit six years ago that I would like never say now, you know, just because I've learned, I've been, I've been doing this stuff for long enough that I'm like, oh gosh, okay. Like I was a little green, you know, back then. Um, but I think like ultimately one way that we can tie this conversation up is that if you're, if you're working with somebody or if you're following an approach and there's just something that feels a little off about it to you, just trust that you can trust yourself. If it feels a little red flaggy based on your needs, that is perfectly okay. And I think we don't have to make somebody or something else wrong in order for us to take care of ourselves. We don't have to create a story about why they're bad or wrong in order for us to say, mm, that actually doesn't fit for me. It can be, you know, it's like the Amy Poehler quote, great for her, not for me, you know, like good for you. Like that can work for you or, you know, that system is great and has so much merit. And also it's not appropriate for me and that's fine. It's all good. Yeah. If any, you know, especially if you're going to a practitioner who's stuck in one way of viewing things, I think that you can also exhaust 
if that practitioner is an expert in something, you can exhaust that practitioner's cap- capabilities totally. and then move on to something else. You know, it doesn't mean that, that the whole approach isn't useful. Again, like let's say you really want to lose weight, but you also have a, a disrupted relationship with food, disordered relationship with food. If you go to a, you know, anti-diet practitioner, you might get that benefit of, you know, healing your relationship with food. And then you might want to wrap around when you're feeling better and stronger in that and more resilient in that, you know, to working with a different practitioner. So it's on everyone's own pacing and there's benefits to all. And I think that um, the, the way you'll know and decipher between if it's right for you or not is if you are really listening to what your body wants. And just like, like I literally... I feel my heart and my gut during client sessions too. Like I want to feel what they're feeling. Like I want my client, when I'm in doctor's appointments, I do that too, where I'm like, mm, I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't sit that well with me as a, you know, a recommendation. It's also like, um, I think that the work that we do as practitioners is all about, and this is just like basics of coaching and counseling. We are pulling what a client wants from them. We're not telling the client what they want. So I'm never going to tell a client you shouldn't want to lose weight. It's not good as, as a societal psychological measure. Like it doesn't make any sense. It has to come from you. What you want has to come from you and how you do it has to come from you too. I know that's so freaking hard when we've been taught to ignore ourselves, but really it's like, did they say I wanted that or do I want that? Basically, I think that's what's really I want you to ask yourself in every single piece of material you read, every single interaction you have with a practitioner is is just tap into like, are they, is that from me or is that from them? Basically, even if they have the best intentions, it still has to come from you. Kaboom. I think that's like such a, a great way to end this whole conversation. So thank you so much, Michelle. Um, can you just let people know where they can find more of you and your feistiness? Absolutely. So on Instagram at Michelle Shapiro RD, my website's Michelle Shapiro RD.com. Um, or you can find me on wellnessmap.co, which is a membership I have to help people connect with functional medicine practitioners. Awesome. We're, we'll be sure to get all those links in the show notes too. Thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. And I know at the very least it will leave people thinking. Yes. Thank you so much, Aaron. It was like the joy of my Friday week month to be on the show with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.